Hello, and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host, Aaron, and today I'm joined by Sean. Hello, Sean. Hello, Aaron. I have my list of my red pen ready because today we're discussing the Marvel films that are not in the MCU. There are a few films on here that, of course, are connected to the MCU proper in a way, but I don't consider them part of the MCU. Yeah, I would say that um, the MCU is, if you think of it as its own sort of the main universe, we're talking about the films that do not exist in that main universe. Because one could make the argument that all of these other films could be happening in an alternate, in a you know multiverse theory, right? However, the films that take place in that specific MCU universe, we are not talking about today. These are the films that were made outside of Marvel productions. These are the films that were Marvel adjacent. So characters that were sold, characters that were acquired through different types of, of rights and distribution manners. Even though the MCU started in 2008, some of these movies were made after 2008 because they were produced outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They were in association with Marvel. Like That's usually how the credit goes. But the reality is Marvel and Kevin Feige didn't have anything to do with the majority of these films. The films we're discussing today are Howard the Duck, Blade, Blade 2, Blade Trinity, X-Men, X-Men 2, X-Men The Last Stand, X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, X-Men Origins Wolverine, The Wolverine, Logan, New Mutants, The Sam Raimi Spider-Man Trilogy, Daredevil, Ghost Rider 1 and 2, Punisher 1989, Punisher 2004, Punisher Warzone, Elektra, Hulk, the four Fantastic Four films, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, Deadpool 1 and 2, and Venom 1 and 2. And maybe we could take a moment to just, if you could, I'm, I'm sure that you'd be happy to do this, but specify why you mentioned four Fantastic Four films. I don't know that all of our listeners realize there actually is a fourth one live action beyond the three that we're all familiar with. I mean, I would even make the argument that maybe not everyone is familiar with the three. That's very possible. Well, since you went ahead and mentioned them, let's just start with the Fantastic Four films then. In 1994, Roger Corman, the I want to say mega producer, but the reality is his budgets were so tiny, so threadbare that I don't know if mega producer, more like a prolific. He gave careers to a great many people. Jack Nicholson, Ron Howard, the list goes on and on. They all started in Roger Corman films. I was not aware of that. Roger Corman was known for giving breaks to people. As long as they had a good title, a poster, and they kept it under budget, then he would pretty much let anyone make a movie. That's very interesting. So he's he was always more of a... Let's do a volume, a lot of movies, as opposed to focusing so much on a, a one good quality film. And by doing a lot, it's sort of like throwing a ball of mud at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but Roger Corman produced a ton of movies across many, many decades. One example is Roger Corman produced the original Little Shop of Horrors with Jack Nicholson. Oh, I was not aware of that. I love that. The black and white. The black and white one. Yeah. And it was filmed over two days on a bet. Somebody said to him that they didn't think he could make a movie in two days. And he was like, oh, yeah? So they've made Little Shop of Horrors for probably a dollar and a half. Wow. I was <laughs> not aware of that. That's so cool. And he produced other movies with such titles as The Wasp Woman, Bucket of Blood, Grand Theft Auto. And you kind of get the idea that these were B pictures. Going back to what we were saying about Fantastic Four, in the early 90s, Roger Corman produced a version of the Fantastic Four. He made a movie on a super low budget and it was basically made just to keep the rights. In Hollywood, there's usually a time limit on a lot of deals and contracts to where if you don't make a movie of this property that you've licensed within a certain time frame, then it goes back to the original rights holders. It's one of the reasons why some studios will keep making Hellraiser movies in order to maintain the rights. So for the rights holders of Fantastic Four, they threw this movie together so quickly just so they could keep it. 
they can say we made a movie and then that extends their contract by another eight years or 10 years or whatever it was. So just try to picture a superhero movie with four characters with four wildly different powers on a budget of 30000 maybe $30,000. I don't really know. It was super cheap. One of the effects when when Mr. Fantastic would stretch his arms, they had like an arm on a stick and you could tell like he was waving out of the backseat of a car at the end of the movie at their wedding. Yeah, it's like and a it's just puppet. someone shaking a stick with a big long rubber arm on it. I mean, it yeah. was. <laughs> it's hilarious. And since it's never been officially released, the only way you could see it is from uh, a bootleg copy. That's correct. Yeah. A lot of times at the comic book conventions, you can actually find those. I will say there was a documentary uh, made about the Fantastic Four 1994 Roger Corman film, which is actually very good. I would say the documentary is actually better than the film. And one of the interesting things I learned in the documentary is that Roger Corman actually thought he was making a real film, like it was going to get released. He, he really? wasn't. He was not aware that what was happening in terms of their they, they just wanted to make it and just to keep the rights or whatever the deal was. It's very interesting that uh, he kind of feels a little bit like he got robbed in that situation. I will say that of the four films, it's the best one. It's definitely cheap, but it has heart. It's not necessarily good, but when you watch it, there's just something about you know people in suits and puppetry and low-tech special effects. I think the word I'm looking for is charm. There's a charm to it. Because you're forgiving. When you watch a movie that costs $200 million and the CG is bad, like at the end of Black Panther where it just looks like two rubber dolls flinging each other around, you feel like, oh, this was a mistake. This is wrong. This is bad. But when you watch a $30,000 movie, your brain is, is a little more forgiving of that. I would agree with that. Of the other three, though, the 2015 Fantastic Four is pretty bad. I know a lot of people dump on it. It had a terrible Rotten Tomato score. I think the first half or so is pretty okay. There's a very clear point in the movie where you can tell that they reshot everything. There's a part in the film where they do a time jump and you can tell that like from that point on, that's when the studio took the film over, took it away from the director and made something else. Yeah, I would say with the Fantastic Four, for me, the 1994 is not the worst of the four, but it certainly isn't the best. I I actually am partial to Rise of the Silver Surfer. I thought that was, again, not a great movie. It's not like a Terminator 2 type movie or it's it's epic, but it certainly was a good movie. It's a good popcorn flick and something that, that uh, is easy on the eyes. And it's rated PG, which is very surprising. Yes, very true. I will agree with you that Rise of the Silver Surfer is the better of the three commonly seen theatrical films. It's a vast improvement over the first one. I think the first Fantastic Four with Jessica Alba and Chris Evans is terrible. It's a bad film. And it kind of sucks that you have to sit through the first terrible film in order to get to the slightly better sequel. For me, Rise of the Silver Surfer benefits from just not being a terrible disappointment. That's about the closest I'll get to saying good when it comes to describing the three theatrical films. Well, it did do something that a lot of sequels can't say. It did improve upon the original. Almost by default. (laughs) That's like saying getting stabbed once is better than getting stabbed twice. Like, yeah, I mean, technically that is better. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's pretty clear I'm crossing off the three theatrical versions of the Fantastic Four. I'm actually hanging on to the Roger Corman one for now. It's not the best movie ever, but there is, again, that charm factor. It's a very charming movie. It's kind of silly. You laugh at it more than with it. For me, uh, normally I would hold on to that one as well, but because we have quite a long list here, I'm just going to go ahead and get down to it and only hold on to Rise of the Silver Surfer for right now. Do you really think Rise of the Silver Surfer might be one of your three? We'll have to wait and see, won't we? You always hang on to more than I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quicker to eliminate these movies, I've noticed. That is very true. The next one I'm going to cross off is Hulk. 
just like the 2015 Fantastic Four, a lot of people have spent a lot of time bashing that movie. I don't think we have a lot to necessarily add to it. The movie is just a mistake all around. So this is the Eric Bana Hulk. One of the things I, maybe you could clear this up for me, is I found it off-putting that he would grow more and more as the movie progressed or as he got angrier, he'd get bigger and bigger. That being said, I've always wondered, is that something that comes from the comics? Did he actually do that in the comics? Do you know? I think what you're describing is called continuity error. Oh, okay. There is a bit of an issue in the Eric Bana Hulk movie where Hulk does not seem to have a dedicated size. Throughout the movie, his size seems to change depending on what the scene needs. Throughout the film, the scale of his size doesn't stay consistent. That is hilarious because all these years, I thought that he would grow with his mood. That one also has the Hulk dogs, which a lot of people made fun of. I actually think that's kind of a good idea. I think it's fun that somebody else would take the gamma radiation and try to make Hulk things. The problem is, is that they chose a poodle. They made a Hulk poodle. <laughs> and then they throw in uh, a kick to the groin joke. That's like, too funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, the problem is it's not funny. It's funny right. in the sense that it's not funny. Like, what exactly. were they thinking? Ang Lee went for a genuine comic book style, and they even used comic book paneling in the film as a, a way of transitioning scenes and moments. It didn't work. It's a neat idea, and I can kind of appreciate maybe what he was trying to do, but it looks terrible. It comes off as silly. Right. But, and they just, you know, as long as you have fun with it sometimes, especially in the older comic book movies, it's it's almost okay. But, yeah. And again, kind of like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, you can forgive that when watching an old 1970s TV show. But when you're watching a 2003 big budget superhero movie, you don't want just splashes of cheesiness. If the whole movie was funny and cheesy and adventurous in that regard, then fine. But it's only moments which makes it stand out. It makes those moments stand out as sort of awful. Agreed. Speaking of funny moments, I would say that out of all of the superhero movies ever created, even the MCU, the DCEU, everything, the funniest moment in any superhero film for me uh, actually occurred on a film on this list known as Deadpool 2. Just oh, the, we're jumping straight to the Deadpool. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Deadpool 1 and 2 then. Yeah. So the scene where all of these superheroes that you thought were potentially going to form a team and they jump out of the airplane and they all die hilariously <laughs> as they're falling from uh, falling 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 from the airplane. I think one went into a wood chipper. I just thought it was hilarious just the way that they all just perished. <laughs> it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it is a funny sequence and I think Deadpool 2 ruined that joke for pretty much every movie ever. I don't think that anyone could really ever do that again. That that again, that's very true. And the uh the the one uh, scene where uh, where the the invisible guy turned into uh, Brad Pitt <laughs> for a moment. Right. Great stuff. I will say, though, that Deadpool 2 um, kind of sucks. I don't like Deadpool 2. They sidelined his love interest. They kill her off at the beginning. It's it's called fridging, or they, they fridged her, because a lot of times in, in movies, especially sequels, they don't know what to do with the female characters, and it seems to happen quite often. And so what do they do? They kill her off as a motivation for the hero. I don't like that. I think they could have kept her. She was a great character. I don't really care for the movie. It has funny parts, but like even now, I'm kind of drawing a blank as to what Deadpool 2 was even really about. I like the juggernaut in Deadpool 2 as well. I thought they did a good job with that character. Oh, yeah, the kid. And the yeah, kid is in it. Okay. Yeah. I will say this, though. I will say that um, it's a good example of how one great scene does not make the movie. Um, and I think it's a good film. I actually like it more than the first one. But for me, I am going to have to uh, mark off actually both Deadpool films. Me uh, too. Yeah. Me too. I'm crossing them both I, off. 
I like them. They're they're good. What turned me off was when he talked about Professor X and then named the actors in Deadpool 1. Are you talking about McAvoy? Are you talking about- Oh, I thought that was hilarious. It was funny, but it's like, am I watching, you know, Police Academy here or am I watching a superhero movie? What you're describing is something that I refer to as a film having a core concept that you have to accept or it ruins the movie. The example I've given before is Fast and Furious. If you have a problem with the way they treat physics, you're never going to accept those films. And so Deadpool is a comedy. And if you kind of get hung up on some of the fourth wall stuff, that's a core concept of the character. And so if you don't like that, then you're just not going to like them. I like it for what it is. And again, I think they're good movies. I just don't know that they're good superhero movies. They're good comedies. But again, I just don't know how well they fit in with the superhero genre. But they are, like if you had a comedy list and they were on there, they would, they'd be high up probably on my comedy films list. I do feel a little bad speaking ill of the first Deadpool. I do like it. But on repeat viewings, that's when you start to notice when the humor is a little more obvious. It's when you start to notice the limitations of the budget. There's a reason that highway action sequence is cut up into pieces. They keep showing a moment of that, then doing a flashback, then showing a moment of that, then doing a flashback. It's because the budget of the film sort of limited what they were able to do because Fox initially only gave them $50 million for the first Deadpool. And so, so they have to cut up this one action sequence and spread it out over the first half of the movie. I was not aware of that. I thought that uh, budget was not a concern. One of the things Fox agreed to was that they could make the movie the way they wanted to make it with the humor and the R, but only if they kept the budget down. They weren't willing to take the risk on $100 million, $150 because it was untested. It's an untested idea. There really haven't been R-rated superhero movies outside of the 80s and Blade. I do feel bad, um, but the first one, it is a solid film. Now, Punisher, there are three Punisher films. The, the Dolph Lundgren one from the 80s was, I mean, it's an 80s action movie. It's a little silly. It's a little silly in the same way that a lot of 80s action movies are. It's okay. It's fine. It's whatever. I don't really think anyone should seek it out. The Thomas Jane Punisher is also kind of just fine. I like that they treated it with a little bit of seriousness. I mean, I don't hate either film. I don't ever want to see either film ever again. So I'm crossing both of those off. The Punisher War Zone I'm going to leave on my list. I actually think that was a fun, not take it too seriously, kind of cartoonish, um, almost in the same thread as like a Kill Bill type of um, so over the top that it's not believable and not really scary. But that's okay for that type of movie, I think. But I will say that the middle of the road Punisher, the Thomas Jane one, to your point, it's forgettable. And then I'm going to cross off the 89 Punisher. At a certain time, it was one of the very few Marvel superhero movies that was available to rent at my blockbuster video. But I don't like it when they make superheroes not look like they look in the comic books. So you're saying the Punisher isn't a six and a half foot tall Swedish man? Um, yes. And I'm also saying that the Punisher has a logo that is defines him and everyone can see it in the world and know exactly what they're talking about. It's almost like making a Batman movie without the Batman logo in the movie anywhere. Okay. So you're talking about the skull and the Punisher shirt that's yes. not on Dolph Lundgren's costume in that the 89 is, version. That is correct. They just okay. put a black leather jacket on him and called it a day. I mean, I'm not going to get hung up on the costume, but yeah, it, it's not great. I have no concerns crossing it off. I'm never going to watch it again. I do agree with you on Warzone. I'm actually hanging on to Punisher Warzone for now for the same reasons as you described. It's kind of cartoony. It's kind of dumb. It's a lot dumb, actually. They kind of go full comic with it in that it's not really based in reality. And it's a little fun because of that. Agreed. And it is a good mix too, right? So Daredevil and Elektra, 
films did a good job in making the characters look like the comic book, unlike Punisher with Dolph Lundgren, but they still were not that great in movies. I actually despise both of those films. You're really good at the transitions. <laughs> You're like, oh, hey, let's, let's name drop the next two. All right, yeah, Daredevil and Elektra. Elektra is awful. Yes, awful, awful, it's awful. horrible. It's a horrible and film. They had like a, a dance fight flirt scene or something in Daredevil too. Which yeah, there was, just, there was a, a, a weird sort of flirty fight sequence on a kid's playground. Yes. Like, what was that nonsense? Yeah. And I like Ben Affleck. I am a Ben Affleck fan and apologist, but he is pretty awful in the Daredevil movie. A lot of the Daredevil movie is pretty awful. Weirdly, it was made by the man who did Grumpy Old Men. I did not know that. Yeah, it's weird. I love Grumpy Old Men. But the Affleck Daredevil, uh, it's just a drag. The R-rated director's cut that came out later improves it a little bit, but it's still not that good. I did like Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin and Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell has a lot of fun playing Bullseye. I think he is really the only shining moment of that film, but it's not good. Daredevil's not good. That was probably the one good thing about that film. I yeah, will Bullseye. Say yeah. yeah. I'm also crossing off both Ghost Rider films. The first one... It was pretty successful when it initially came out. I don't think a lot of people remember it fondly at all. And I don't think people remember Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance at all. <laughs> very very few people have ever mentioned Ghost Rider 2 in any conversation I've ever had. I will cross off the first Ghost Rider, although I do think that Nicolas Cage did a decent job at the role. It needed a little bit more budget. If the, the sets felt a little bit claustrophobic at times. So I'll mark off the first one. But the second one, I'm not going to mark off yet. The reason is that the 3D in that film was actually really good. I actually saw that in 3D, and I know 3D is not really a thing in theaters anymore. The 3D in that film was was actually very, very good. And it was one of the first times I'd seen 3D done well like that. But I'm going to disagree with you on pretty much every account. I think that both films, especially the first one, are completely miscast. Eva Mendez is awful in it. Nicolas Cage is awful in it. They even ruined Peter Fonda. The only person who did a good job at all in the first Ghost Rider film is Sam Elliott because he's basically playing Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is Sam Elliott, man. He right. <laughs> put him in anything as a cowboy or a Western type character of any kind. The dude abides. No, I, I, I very much dislike Ghost Rider. The second one I thought was an improvement, but it was still pretty bad. And it was extra disappointing because it was made by Neville Dean and Taylor, the two people who made the Crank films with Jason Statham. And the Crank films are exciting movies. They are very, very fun films to watch. Ghost Rider 2, not so much. Excellent. Let's go ahead and move forward and just talk about one film on the list. Uh, the original, the only, well, sort of the only, I guess he's had cameos now in the MCU, but a non-MCU canon, the only film starring the great Howard the Duck. Uh, that hurts my soul a little bit. George Lucas. Yes, yes, George Lucas. Howard the Duck had a very troubled production. They didn't really know what they were going to make. And I know that the comic is definitely more adult. And there are some weird moments in the film that are definitely adult, like the Play Duck magazine, you know, instead of Playboy. Yeah. And showing a topless, it's weird to say that, but a topless duck bathing. And it was definitely marketed and made for children. At least that's the impression I've been given. I liked it as a kid and rewatching it as an adult. It's really bad. Some people I know have that nostalgic love for Howard the Duck. It is one of those movies that people look back on fondly, like The Goonies or Gremlins. But the thing is, The Goonies and Gremlins are great films. Howard the Duck is not. It's not good. It's not a good movie. It just uh, it has just a look that hasn't aged well in terms of, of visual effects. I'm 50-50 on that. Visual effects have obviously improved greatly, but kind of like we mentioned with the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, there is a charm 
and an acceptance of these older effects. I think practical effects, in-camera effects, hold up better than CG. Like you watch CG from the late 90s, early 2000s now, and it looks awful. But if you watch a movie from the 80s with puppets, it looks the exact same as when we saw it in the 80s. True, but I think even with practical effects, we've come a long way. I, I feel like if we were to have done Howard the Duck today and didn't have CG, let's just say for a moment in our fake uh, time machine that there is no CG in this universe, and we are creating a practical effect Howard the Duck, I think it would have looked cool to have done some of the latex layering. There are things that they could do to uh, to make it look better, even in the practical world. I don't really have a problem with the costume with the person in the suit and the puppetry of the of the duck bill i mean to me it's it's fine it's it's a person in a suit it's, right. it's like it's like star wars i mean i know you like star wars you were on the star wars episode and unless you're going to complain about the ewoks you probably shouldn't complain about howard the duck's costume the ewoks are covered in fur you could barely tell he's that. covered in feathers <laughs> i still don't like the ewoks oh man um <laughs> but no howard the duck is pretty bad tim robbins has a lot of fun in it Jeffrey Jones has had some issues in real life, but in the film, he's very good. The movie is just weird. The tone is off. It feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, the movie has no identity. Wasn't the main, the lead actress, the mother in uh, Back to the Future? Yeah, Leah Thompson. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's the one that has an implied sexual relationship with the duck. The rocker chick. The 80s rocker chick. Yeah. So cool. But I am going to cross off Howard the Duck. Yeah, me too. Let's take a break from crossing off terrible movies and talk about a good movie. I am keeping Logan. I'm telling you right now, it is one of my three. Logan is an incredible film. James Mangold, who also did Ford v. Ferrari, which is another favorite movie of mine. He did a bang-up job, especially because the Fox Marvel X-Men universe is so confusing. They don't really care about continuity. I think it stands alone because of that. I think that helps. And of course, yeah, if you know Patrick Stewart and Professor X from the other movies, that might help you a little bit. I don't think it's necessary. I love Logan. I don't think it's the best portrayal of Wolverine, but it certainly is an excellent portrayal of Wolverine, especially old man Wolverine, obviously. They nailed that. I just wish that there would have been a better villain. Yeah, I did have a problem a little bit with the villain. And there's also that the side plot of the nurse that films the children and her video looks like it was shot by professionals and it's edited as a narration. Right. <laughs> That's a little silly. The one thing that I really liked about it was the take on the future because it takes place like a little bit in the future, right? But not really far. Yeah, it's right? like tomorrow future. Right. And it, they, they did a good job because there will be self-driving cars and trucks and things like that. I, I think they did a good job with that. Yeah. They don't bang you over the head with it. It's just sort of subtle. Correct. Yep. But is it the best X-Men film? I do not believe so. I am partial. My best X-Men film for me is X-Men Days of Futures Past. Ah. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was about that one. It was. I think it was very true to the comic arc. The characters look good. Quicksilver was just amazing in that film. For me, that was the best of the, all of the X-Men films, and that's the one that for sure is going to stay. There may be others, but that one is for sure going to be on my list, X-Men Days of Futures Past. I haven't completely made my decision yet as far as keeping both of these in my final three. I know I said Logan is going to make it, but I do like Days of Future Past so much. I prefer the Rogue cut, which I know isn't really that different, but I think it's slightly better than the theatrical version. Days of Future Past, it nails that comic aesthetic. It has such a wide variety of characters that merges the character universes of both the prequel series of First Class and then with the actors of the original series. It's really, really good. Although, oh man, I hate to backtrack, but now that I said it out loud, I'm kind of thinking First Class is the best X-Men movie. 
the X-Men franchise is generally pretty solid. Dark Phoenix was really bad. And that had a hugely troubled production. So I have no problem crossing off Dark Phoenix. This is the problem I have with the X-Men movies. At first, with First Class, they were trying to do, trying to connect the old X-Men movies with and go back in time. Like this is another earlier generation of the same characters. But then all of a sudden, now they're doing the Phoenix story twice. Like didn't that already happen in their future? But now the young cast is doing it again. That for me, just completely from a continuity standpoint, you know how I am about continuity. Yeah, you mentioned that before in the other episodes. I I don't think it's a problem. I I think kind of like, again, with physics and Fast and Furious, I think that the X-Men franchise established that they don't do continuity. That's just part of that universe. That's a problem. That's a problem for me. It's not a problem for me. I think it's fine. So I'm going to cross off Dark Phoenix. Yeah, me too, Dark Phoenix. And I'm going to cross off The Last Stand because they had the same Dark Phoenix storyline. And the same writer, actually, of both. Yeah, it was yeah. just, why are you doing it twice if they're the same people? It makes no freaking sense. I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to cross off X-Men The Last Stand, which was the third film in the original series. I'm also crossing off X-Men Apocalypse because it was really bad. It was really, really bad. I'll tell you what. I am a huge fan of an old show on an old channel about video games called G4. I remember G4. There was a show called Attack of the Show, and it had one of the coolest hosts and Olivia Munn on that show. And she was such a big fan. I was so excited to see her finally in a superhero role. Psylocke, right? Yeah, I was so excited to see her in a superhero role. And I don't think it's her fault. I don't think that role gave her enough to work with, man. They kept, there's so much more they could have done with that character. We got a couple good action sequences at the end with her, but that was a spoiled opportunity. That whole movie though, that whole movie, they didn't know what to do with anybody. Really disappointing because I had big hopes for Apocalypse when I, when I saw, you know, and I heard it was coming out. It was one of those ones that I'd literally follow as it was going through development. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh no. And then the, oh no, it turned into, oh no. I'm also crossing off X-Men Origins Wolverine. I don't think we have too much to say because people have spent many years laughing at that movie. It's Agreed. It's it's not good. Oh, it was horrible. And then I also don't like, I think there was a cut scene, but they never used actual Wolverine suit ever. And I don't have any problem with the Logan look. I love the Logan look. Because to me, that's just as iconic as the the actual costume itself. But you got to give us the costume at least for one one you know sequence at least. There was a cut scene, I believe, in one of the films where he opened up his suitcase. Yeah, and, it and was the, in there. the costume is gifted to him, or at yeah. least like the headpiece. But he never wore it, and they never showed that. So I'm not missing that. I'm also going to cross off the Wolverine. <laughs> These titles get a little confusing. That's the one where he goes to Japan. And I really do appreciate that the movie isn't about the world ending. It's not about a beam shooting up into the sky and an alien army invading or whatever. It's just a self-contained story. It's not world ending stakes. And I appreciate that a lot. The film is fine. I think The Wolverine was a vast improvement over X-Men Origins <laughs> by a large, large margin. But there are better movies on this list. And so I'm crossing off The Wolverine. For me, I'm going to go ahead and cross off X-Men and X-Men 2, X2. Oh, I was saving that. Yeah, I was going to yeah. I was going to say let's kill some darlings. Yeah. I'll tell you why. For me again, they're comic book movies. I remember specifically going in and watching that movie and although I did like seeing Wolverine on screen for the first time, I'm like a big Wolverine fan. Like I actually bought the first issue of his first I still have it framed, mm-hmm. the first of his solo comic. But I remember being so disappointed that they're these aren't the these are just people wearing black suits, man. Like, where's their costumes? You know, I, it just bothered the hell out of me, and I can't get past it. I will say that the sameness of all of them wearing black leather was a little obnoxious. The film, though, you got to remember when X Men came out in two thousand. Other than Blade, 
we didn't really have comic book movies the way we think of them today. So when X-Men came out, it was a huge breath of fresh air. In the first movie, Magneto is cool, but they messed up Toad, they messed up Sabretooth. There was a richness of backstory between Sabretooth and Logan that they did not explore at all, and then they unceremoniously killed him off. But I'm not going to fault the movie. I think that making a new comic book movie before we had the movies that we have today, where they introduced all these characters, they established this comic booky universe, and they did a very good job with it. And then you have X-Men 2, which was a vast improvement. I love X-Men 2. X-Men 2 is a great comic book movie. It's just I'm looking at at least three other movies on here that I would rather keep over it. That's all. It's great. I highly recommend X2. Yeah, X2 is better than X-Men, but I'm going to cross that one off as well. Um, When you handed me this list earlier, the first film that I immediately just crossed off and, and actually dreaded even talking about it was New Mutants. Yeah, New Mutants is really bad. It's a good idea at its core. The idea of a single location X-Men horror movie, that's kind of neat. So we'll see how, a, hopefully, how a superhero horror movie can be done right with Doctor Strange 2 here soon in the MCU. But Directed by Sam Raimi, who we're about to talk about. Right. But uh, yeah, I I crossed off New Mutants. Okay. Well, and given that I still have First Class, Days of Future Past, and Logan, there's really no reason to even suggest that I'm keeping Punisher Warzone or the Fantastic Four from 1994. I'm going to go ahead and just cross those off right now. I like them for reasons that don't necessarily include quality. I think Warzone is a lot of stupid fun, and I think there's a whole lot to appreciate about the charm of the original Fantastic Four film. But uh, yeah, they're not going to make it. I'm crossing them both off now. For X-Men, I'm going to tidy that up by going ahead and taking away Logan. I talked about it earlier. I think it's a great film. Yeah, I think it's a great film, but... It just didn't feel like as much of a like, like, like a superhero film enough for me, uh, to be honest. I was okay in that one, actually, without the character having his costume. I know that's a big deal for me. That one, I think it was Logan. It was Logan's movie. It was called Logan. Yeah, it was the old man Logan storyline, basically. Right, right. So I, I would have actually not wanted to see him in the Wolverine costume. There. So that wasn't it. For that, that one, it was more, I can't get over just kind of being on the run. It feels like it's just been done in so many movies so many times. You didn't like the road trip aspect of the film. Yeah, I've just, I, mean, I like that. That, that can be a good movie, but it's, I've just seen it, maybe not even so much in the superhero genre, but I've just seen it in so many movies so many times. Well, I'm very disappointed that you're crossing off Logan because I, I think it is an extremely solid film. Yeah, you want to know what it reminded me of in a strange way was The Legend of Billie Jean. The That's Helen an, Slater movie? Yeah, the old where she's on From, the like run. yeah. Yeah, she's on the run. I, I, for some reason, it kind of reminded me, like, like they go into a gas station and try to steal something and, you know, that kind of stuff and She happens. cuts her hair all short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, so Christian Slater's in that movie and so Billie Jean is played by Helen Slater and in the end credits, I don't know if it's like this on home video, but in theaters, in the end credits, when it listed Helen Slater and then Christian Slater. In parentheses, after Christian Slater's name, it said not related. Oh, wow. That was in the end credits of the film. I am going to cross off First Class. Mm. Um, All right. Vaughn did a great job with that film. Don't get me wrong. It's still a good movie. I'm not happy with that, but that's all right. All right. Well, we mentioned Sam Raimi. Let's go ahead and dig into the Spider-Man universe. And again, as mentioned at the start, I don't consider these part of the MCU because they're really not. They're not part of the MCU proper. So let's just get that out of the way. These take place in a whole other universe outside of the MCU universe. Well, and if you want to break it down further by Hollywood production standards, it's not produced by Kevin Feige. Right. It's not produced by Marvel. Can we agree that Spider-Man 3 is going to not make the list? We can agree that Spider-Man 3 and both Amazing Spider-Man movies are not going to survive this. When I first watched it and didn't like it, my feeling was... They tried to cram too many villains into one film. However, since that time, 
they've successfully done that in multiple superhero movies. So I think I can sum up what you're trying to describe. Okay. I have an expression. If it was good, we wouldn't complain. Fair enough. And that's it. That's all there's to it. Like, like if we talk about the Harry Potter movies and they cut certain things from the books and it would have been so much better if they'd included it. Well, it's not that what they didn't put in would have made it better. It's just that we didn't like what they did. And so we're grasping at what's missing. In regards to the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I like Andrew Garfield. I think he is a great Spider-Man and Peter Parker. He did fantastic. The movies are not good, though. It's kind of like Matt Smith and Doctor Who. I like Matt Smith. I like him as Doctor Who, but his seasons were bad. I like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I think he gives him a little bit more of a, a darker edge, if you will. I actually liked the way that they did the lizard in the first one as well. Hard to disagree. <laughs> I, I disagree so much with I that. Like, I like the character and the development, but I didn't like how quickly he just changed. You know, There wasn't enough to convince me that he really cared at the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, his emotional arc doesn't completely make sense. It happens too quickly where he goes from scientist to mwahaha bad guy. Right. You needed more motivation. It was just, it just happened too fast. If they had simply explained that maybe the transformation affected his brain, they could have come up with some reason as it stands in the film that they made. It doesn't make complete sense how quickly he turned to villainy and wanting to transform everybody into lizards. I will say um, with Amazing Spider-Man 2, that was better than Amazing Spider-Man 1. I did like Electro. Oh, no. Sorry. But, Sorry to interrupt. No, no I, I Jamie did. Fox was terrible. No, I did like Electro. Let me finish. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I liked Electro. The reason I didn't like the movie was really because I didn't like the flashback. I would have only flashback one time to Gwen Stacy's dad. I also didn't like the rhino costume at the end. That was ridiculous. I think Electro and Jamie Foxx were terrible in that film. His character reminded me of something out of Batman Forever. It was laughable, it was a complete joke. In No Way Home, when they all when he tells him how he got his powers, and he says, I fell into a vat of electric ills, and somebody else says, I fell into something else, and then they're all, don't fall into stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was great. They did a very good job with the villains in that movie. Uh, not Amazing Spider-Man 1, 2, or Spider-Man 3, in my opinion. I think both of the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are good. Part 1 does not really hold up so well anymore. I think 2 improves on part 1 pretty much across the board. I think Spider-Man 2 is awesome. I will be hard-pressed to not keep that one. It does sort of make me bring up the question we brought up before about sequels and with this elimination process, can these sequels stand alone without the original? And with the X-Men movies, since they sort of throw continuity out the window, I don't think it matters <laughs> if you have X-Men 3 but not 1, you know? But do you think Spider-Man 2 makes sense and is as enjoyable without part 1 existing? Could Spider-Man 2 stand on its own? I believe that it could. I think Spider-Man 2, for movies outside of the MCU, is the best Spider-Man film. I actually think it's the best Spider-Man, the second best Spider-Man film of all time. I think Spider-Man 2 is the best one, actually. I, I like Tom Holland. I like those movies. We'll talk about that eventually. But I think Spider-Man 2 is the best of all the movies with Spider-Man in the title. I think No Way Home is, but I do think that Spider-Man 2 is the best of all the other spiders. So obviously it's going to be on my list. I'm not crossing that off, but I will cross off Spider-Man 1. I agree. I don't think it holds right. up. I'm not bashing Spider-Man 1 at all. It's just age comes for us all and Spider-Man 1 just isn't as amazing. See what I did there? I don't really have any complaints about 2. I, I, I really hardly have any complaints about 1. It's just, it's not as good as 2, but it's like saying, you know, 8.9 compared to a 9.1. So do we agree that we're both going to cross off more reluctantly for me, both The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2? 
Yeah, I definitely am crossing that off. I like Andrew Garfield, as I said. I have no reason to ever watch those two movies ever again. I don't like them. I'm going to cross them off as well. I, again, I don't hate the second one. I don't hate the first one. I like the second one a little better, but both of them are not going to hold up with this entire list. And as it stands now, we're starting to run out of movies. Aside from Spider-Man 2 and the few X-Men movies that we've each kept remaining, we have the Blade series and the Venom series. I'm crossing off both Venom movies. I'm not going to say they're bad. I'll say they're fluffy. They're like eating a bag of marshmallows or getting a Big Mac. They're fine little treats. I might have the craving to watch one of them again a few years from now, but I have no real desire to watch the Venom movies. I like Tom Hardy. I like what they did with the relationship between Eddie Brock and Venom. The best compliment I can probably give Venom to Let There Be Carnage is that despite having a different person behind the camera, a different director, it looks exactly like the first movie. It is visually the truest sequel I've probably seen in theaters in a long time. It looks like they shot it back to back with part one. I love the dynamic of the monster side who wants to eat brains and you've got the good guy side who's kind of trying to keep him mellow. I think they're both very well connected as like, to your point, one sort of continuous movie. And it does make me intrigued to see where the next one goes. So I'm going to say that they're great movies, but I will agree to cross them off very reluctantly. It's really hard for me. It's difficult for me to really say one is better than the other. Yeah, they're both completely the exact same. (laughs) That's my complaint, actually. I would not use the great word. You said great. Uh, I think the first word I used was fluffy. I'll stick with that one. They're fluffy. There was room, I think, for both of them to extend the film and actually add, which is funny because a lot of times we say they could have cut half an hour of that out. I think they could have added a 10 or 15 minutes, um, maybe a little more action, maybe one more action sequence, and then maybe a little more all the rest for character development a little bit of the other characters in the film, not Eddie and, and Venom. And I think that would have been, it would have helped them even more. But I'm going to go ahead and cross off both of those for now. Both Venom movies are pretty brisk. I think part two is only 90 minutes, even with credits. Right. So then the Blade movies. I will say that Blade 2, in a sense, is an improvement. It's definitely bigger budgeted. It has a lot more style, courtesy of Guillermo del Toro. I don't love it. Of the three of them, it's the best made movie. Blade 2 is the best made of the bunch, but it's not the best movie. Blade Trinity is pretty terrible. I have a significant soft spot for part one. I like Blade 1 a lot. Its effects are extra cheap now, like extra cheap if you try to watch it now. But it's just a fun movie. I like Blade. I like Blade a lot. For me, I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to cross off the Blade movies. I actually liked part one as well. I liked part two. I did not like part three. When you look at the entire list, bag of popcorn and watching Blade on a Saturday night is a good time. But when you look at all the other movies, there's definitely three more that I would choose in front of that. So I'm going to go ahead and cross off Blade, Blade 2, and Blade Trinity. I am very, very tempted to keep Blade, but looking at the few titles I have left, I just don't know that I can keep it. I would say Blade is probably more fun than, say, X-Men Days of Future Past between X-Men First Class and Spider-Man 2. I don't know. I'm kind of tempted to keep Blade. I'm not really sure. This is tough, actually, because I'm down to just a few. I only have the two X-Men movies I mentioned, Logan, Blade, and Spider-Man 2 left, so I only have five movies. And I only have to eliminate two. I'm definitely not keeping three X-Men movies. So I'm torn. I think the first darling I'm going to have to cut is X-Men Days of Future Past. I hate to do it. I think it balances a huge roster of actors very well. Ah, That's just the one I got to cut. I'd probably... Oh, man. I mean, I'm hesitating even now as I'm saying it out loud. So what does that leave as your last three, Aaron? Well, I still have four. So I still have Blade, First Class, Logan, and Spider-Man 2. That leaves me with X-Men Days of Future Past, The Wolverine, 
Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Spider-Man 2. So you have four left and you still have to eliminate one. That is correct. All right. So what are you going to eliminate? It is tough. I think the best movie on this list is Spider-Man 2. So that one stays for sure. The second best movie on this list is X-Men Days of Future Past for me, which leaves us with Rise of the Silver Surfer as well as The Wolverine. And one of those two has to go. I'm going to interrupt and just say I'm a little heartbroken that those two movies are even in consideration. And that means that one of them is going to be in your surviving three films because The Wolverine and Rise of the Silver Surfer are nowhere near as good as X-Men 1, 2, Spider-Man 1, Blade. Like, why would you keep those two? Looking at this list, again, the first two are very easy. I mean, Deadpool? Days of Future Past. I didn't even see. I, I didn't even sing the praises of Deadpool, and you crossed those off. <laughs> you might have Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Days of Future's Past, Days of Future Past, and Spider-Man 2, hands down, those are my two. It's really hard from there, because there's a lot of good, but not great, not quite great. Looking at this, I'm going to do a, a switcheroo that you have never seen before, Aaron. Okay, you're going to undo one of your I am going to actually go ahead and cross off Rise of the Silver Surfer. I'm going to cross off the Wolverine. Good. I'm going to make my final three, X-Men Days of Future Past, Spider-Man 2, and Blade. Oh, okay. All right. I'm glad to hear that because I'm still sort of torn between keeping Blade or not. I think our lists are going to be very, very similar. I hate to say it, I can't in good conscience keep Blade over Logan. I think Logan, aside from a few kind of silly flaws, very, very minute, Logan is so good. I do love Blade. This is tough for me to do. I am going to cross off Blade, which leaves me with my three. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Spider-Man 2, X-Men First Class, and Logan. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps us a ton. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Sean. Thank you for listening.